Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. We're looking forward to our fellowship to follow this service, but I want us to hear from the Lord today. Amen. Not hear from me. Let's just hear from the Lord. If you have your Bibles and will join me in Genesis 35, I'm going to read one scripture here. And from this passage, I will draw my text and ask the Lord to just speak something to our heart. I don't have anything new. I don't even have a new spin on anything old. I just want to stand on the infallible, (laughs) unbending word of God. Amen. Let's just think about some truths here. Genesis 35 and 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel. And dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Arise and go to Bethel, and when you get there, make there an altar. And from that, I want to take my subject today, make there an altar. Make there an altar. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I love you so very much. I thank you for the privilege to be here today and the wonderful opportunity you've given us to one more time assemble together, not just together with one another, but together with you as well. Your powerful presence, the adhesive that pulls all of us together, that settles any indifference, Lord, your spirit that brings peace and love and harmony. We thank you for that today. In the name of the Lord, amen, amen. And you can be seated. Make there an altar unto God. As far back as my memory will allow me to go, I remember church, church. I grew up in a church-going family, and it's all I've ever known. I've slept on pews. I've slept under pews. I've slept in the back seat of the car on the way to church, and I've slept in the back seat of the car on the way home from church. And um, I've often said it, and I'm not exaggerating, that my mother and father weren't just involved in church that went on in the local church, but wherever church was going on, that's where we found ourselves. And it was camp meetings and fellowship meetings and rallies and And uh, sometimes I think they just made up reasons to go to church, but I'm thankful for it. There were moments in my adolescent years I probably didn't appreciate it as much as I should, but I certainly do today. I was raised in the shadow of the church, and basically it's all I've ever known. And, and, And just as an aside, not that I need to say this for your benefit, but... Uh, that didn't give me angel wings and I didn't make all the right decisions because I was raised in that atmosphere. But I do regularly thank God that I was raised in such clo- close proximity 
to the house of God. And the Lord wasn't just something that was discussed on Sunday and midweek services or just every now and then, but it was just a topic of conversation. Prayer was a part and parcel of everything that went on. And I'm not alone in this. I'm speaking on behalf of maybe several here today and not all, I'm, I'm sure. But that the trajectory that was, as a result of that, the trajectory that was set in my heart so long ago, I have sense enough to know today spared me from many wounds, many wounds. And these are wounds that God has not had to heal me from. And I don't say any of this boastfully. I say it very humbly and merely as a way of testimony. I'm thankful for that Sabbath day's journey I've preached about through the years that, that we were staked out at. From childhood, I learned the value of the altar. Of course, before I could remember it, my parents took me to the altar and dedicated me unto the Lord. Just like many here, not only have you been dedicated, but you dedicated your children to the Lord. And from that time forward, they did everything within their power to keep pointing me back to that place, the altar. Many church services begin and end with a semblance of being at the altar. It's where we went and still go during church services so that the ministry can lay hands on us and pray over us, anointing us with oil, with faith believing that God will touch us as James 5, 14 instructed us, calling on the elders of the church. It's where we go. The altar was ground zero. That's just where you go. You just pray. When you don't know what else to do, you, you just pray. Amen. That's what you do. And, and Sunday school teachers and youth ministry workers taught me all of that in my youth as well. And so it wasn't just something echoed at home, not just something echoed formally from the pulpit, but it was just in every aspect of the ministry of the church that the altar, prayer, that is the most important part of your relationship with God. If I understood early on that if I was gonna make heaven my home, I'm gonna have to have a relationship with the altar. I'm gonna have to know what prayer is all about. There's gonna have to be something natural that flows from me to God. If I was struggling, it would be the altar that would help reset the direction in my life. And I've had to go there many, many times. I'm thankful for altars that, that altars where God graciously gave me another chance. Uh, we used to sing the song, I'm back again, Lord. There's a lot of truth to that. I'm looking for mercy. I'm seeking that. I'm back again. I know that I was just here, but I've come back because I need another answer and I need further direction. I need you to color in the corners for me and so I'm back again. In my life, certainly like Perhaps others here this morning, some of those altars have been forgotten and some I will never forget. Some were moments where I was just correcting a wrong and I went to that altar and asked God for forgiveness and I felt that the spirit of the Lord heard that cry and we got up and walked away and we didn't really perhaps make note of that in our mind or even in a journal. It was just a moment in time but there are other altars that we will never forget because it was there that we had life-changing moments that God just reset something in our heart 
He pointed us in a certain direction and our life was forever changed. It was much the same for the man at the center of our story today and that man is named Jacob. Jacob had a twin brother named Esau and although Esau was the older brother, it always seemed that Jacob had the upper hand. He was just one step ahead in his train of thought and often in his actions. But one day Esau, and if you know the story, you know where I am going with this. One day Esau said enough is enough, at least in his heart. And he wasn't going to be pushed or robbed or cheated or lied to, not one more time. He had, Jacob had played his last prank. He had pulled his last stunt. As far as Esau was concerned, this was it. Lights are out and we're gonna do something about this. And Jacob had, had done so many things to Esau in his lifetime. And so when Jacob got word that Esau was coming for him, he knew that Esau wasn't coming for a friendly visit and this was gonna be a showdown of showdowns. And so Jacob ran for his life. When he stopped running, he found himself in a very unassuming town, a place called Luz. He set up a few stones as pillows and fell asleep. And while he slept, God gave Jacob a tremendous gift. He gave him the gift of a dream. In his dream, there was the ladder that extended from earth to heaven and the angels that were ascending and descending on that ladder. And at the top, the Lord himself. Jacob woke up, he built an altar and, and he said to himself, and we have read this through the ages, surely the Lord is in this place. Surely God has been right here in this in, in this place, it's just sand and stone. It's not anything that would, that would draw your attention, but God has been in this place. Now, it didn't look like a house of God, especially as we know them today, but when Jacob had an encounter with God, he built there an altar, and in that instant, an ordinary place like Luz became an extraordinary place called Bethel. Obviously, I, I, I'm sure that for all of us, that when we pray in our private moments, it would look very, very different one to another. You may pray in a certain room in your home or you may pray outside. Some may, your favorite posture of prayer may be standing or kneeling while others would rather sit. Perhaps some like to lay out and pray. There's no right or wrong way to do that. But here's my point that whether you're inside or outside, whether you're kneeling or walking, sitting or lying, wherever you are, when we lift our voice and begin to speak to heaven, amen, with that place, we begin, when we lift our voice, that place becomes our altar. Amen, we are building an altar in that place and for all intent and purposes, that place becomes our house of God. Amen, I've, I've had to pray in some unusual places, just like you. It hasn't always seemed spiritual, hasn't always seemed, uh, didn't always reek of a cathedral, but it was just there that I needed to talk to God. And that place became the house of God when the preacher concludes his message and, and we say, let's end this service with family prayers, we often do here, and you walk those few steps from where you're seated down to the front, 
the front of this building in that moment becomes transformed into, into just more than just a little bit of carpet. It becomes more than just a different location in the building because wherever you stop and stand and lift your voice, that becomes your place of prayer. You've often heard me and other ministers in the church say, make an altar right where you stand. What are we saying? We're not asking you to go get some wood or stone and build and construct a literal altar. What we're saying is right where, right where you are, when you lift your voice and your hand, so to speak, and you begin to talk to God, that right there becomes your altar. That's the place. That's the place, amen, where man and God connect. The altar, it's where heaven and earth join together. We can have all the trappings that we think make church, church, and not have the most important thing that we need, and that's the altar. Because what's gonna change our life is the altars that we take time to build. Just ask Jacob. Jacob would tell you those times where God can step into your life and he can change how we see things. He can change something within us, not for the moment, but God can change it for the future. All of his life, all of his life, he was Jacob. But you see, Jacob for him was more than just a name. It was his nature. Jacob's name, as you know, perhaps meant cheater, liar, deceiver, surplanter. You can't trust Jacob. No matter what he says, there's gonna be a little bit more. There's another fold. There's, a, there's another wrinkle in this story somewhere because he just can't tell the truth. Amen, he is a deceiver. And, and it was one of his deceits that caused him to run for his life from his brother. But when Jacob stopped running long enough, when he stopped running long enough for the night, God got his attention. That infamous story of the angel coming to him and wrestling all throughout the night. They wrestled and as the sun began to rise, the angel said, you have got to let me go. And Jacob said, I'm not gonna let you go. He meant, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. I don't want us to get tripped up on the word blessing there. He meant, the Lord, I mean, Jacob wasn't asking the Lord to, to give him a little more money in his bank or a nicer chariot to drive or a, a prettier horse. No, no, no. What Jacob was really saying is, I'm not gonna let you go until you change me because I am tired of being who I am. I'm tired of being like I am. I'm preaching to men and women today, not only in this building, but those joining us online that have reached that same intersection. You came to an altar. It had nothing to do with a song. It had nothing to do with a singer. It might have even had nothing or little to do with a preacher or the sermon. But you said, Lord, I need you tonight to change me. I'm tired of being Jacob. I'm tired of being the way I am. Amen. I I need you, Lord, to change me. I'm telling you today, I know what I'm talking about for me personally. I was tired of the way I was going. I was looking at the path that my friends were walking on and I saw there's nothing down here but heartache and sorrow. I'm tired of being like I am, Lord. I need you to change me. I don't need to just speak in tongues for the sake of speaking in tongues. I don't need just another Holy Ghost blessing that'll be gone in 90 seconds, but I need something to get in my heart, something to get in my mind. Jacob said, I won't let you go until you change me. I'm tired 
of being the way I am. It was here that Jacob was confronted with Jacob. We all get confronted with ourselves. Because the angel said, what is thy name? Oh, don't make me answer that question. Who are you? Don't, don't make me say this out loud. Don't make me confess that, that I am a cheater, a liar, a crook, that I'm conniving. Don't make me confess who I am. What is your name? That had to be a painful question. But in order for Jacob to confess his name, that means I've got to confess my flaws. I've got to lay this out here. You need to know who I am. You can't trust me. You can't turn your back on me. You, you need to sleep with one eye open if I am in the room. Yet somehow he had the strength, the wherewithal to reach down and muster up the words to say, I am Jacob. I am Jacob. Whether your name is Jacob or not, I'm going to tell you that when we we came to the altar. Essentially what happened when we got to the end of ourselves, we said, Lord, this is who I am, but this is not who I want to be. This is what I am today, but this is not how I want to live, and this is certainly not how I want to leave this earth. Hallelujah. I've got flaws aplenty. I've got hangups. I've got them everywhere, but Lord, if your word and your blood and your mercy can just flow over my soul, you can turn a cheater into a preacher Amen, you can turn a liar into a truth teller. Hallelujah. You can turn somebody that steals into somebody that gives back. You can change me. But we've got to make there an altar. We've got to make there an altar. Amen. Jacob could have never anticipated heaven's next move. That next move was Genesis 32, 28. Your name shall be no more called Jacob. <laughs> but Israel, Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and has prevailed, you've been changed. I've often reminded you that while others still called him Jacob, God never referred to him as Jacob ever again. Some people wouldn't let go of his past, but God did. Some people said, I don't know. I know he's got a Bible under his arm now. I know, I know about all the details and the testimonies that we're hearing, but I'm not real sure about that. But God, but God just kept referring to him as Israel. Amen. He referred to himself as Israel. I'm going to tell you that somewhere along the line, we've got to embrace the change that God wants to bring about in our life. And when the devil tries to point at the old man in the mirror, we need to remind him that the old man died, that the old man was buried, that the old man went under in the name of Jesus and the power of his blood washed away those sins. Hallelujah. A name change. If you and I are going to legally change our name in the state of Florida at least, here's the process. I'm going to first have to do a background check. You'll have to have a disclosure from a non-lawyer. You'll need a petition for a change of name. You'll need to sign that petition in the presence of a notary. You'll need to submit those filings to the circuit court and then a final judgment of the change of name will be issued and you'll have to attend a hearing. But don't get excited because this will take at least six months, if not more. Because it's all a process. 
but the pro, the, but but not for Jacob. <laughs> he went to an, an altar, not for you and I. We we made there an altar, and so all of the disclosures and all the all of the paperwork that needed to be submitted, all of the, the notary signings and the final judgment and, and the hearing, it all just kind of got pushed aside because he said, my grace is sufficient and my blood is enough. Amen. I'm preaching to people this morning that have had a nature change. Has God done more than just... <laughs> did God do more than just give you a moment of... Uh, of glory did God do more than just give you a few moments or seasons of speaking with other tongues I believe the answer is yes we woke up thinking differently we woke up walking differently and talking differently and, and the things that we used to do we just decided in our heart that doesn't fit me anymore I don't need to nor want to go there anymore because God changed in something in our nature Many people that, that we grew up with knew us for certain things. But when you have an, an encounter with the altar, those things can change. And what they knew you as, they cannot imagine you now. The old man, the old man, when you have an encounter with God and you kneel at that altar, God has the power to change our name and our nature Amen, I believe that because I know he's a change maker. He's able to change who you are from the inside out and that's what's most important. It's from the inside out that change begins to take place and he's able to forgive us of our past and, and he's able to fill us with his spirit and give us a wonderful and bright future. Today I could take you to the old building where I first received the baptism of the Holy Ghost 50 years ago. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> I went to that old building a few months ago. It's still there. An old open air block building, no windows then, no doors, and sawdust on the floor. It was a long way from a cathedral. <laughs> no fancy lights, no air condition, no padded pews. We were just basically in out of the weather. And when you got out of church, it looked like you had been plowing all day. So while a lot of things were missing, no padded pews, no air conditioning, no windows, no doors, no formal flooring, let me tell you what was there. What was there was an altar. An altar that changed my life. An altar that, that set the trajectory, uh, corrected the trajectory in my heart. That night, that particular night, in that particular camp meeting, a preacher named Kenneth Morgan was preaching. Kenneth Morgan, brother Kenneth Morgan was a, a, a giant of a man. He was a huge statured man. He had a voice to match. Uh, and, and I felt something stirring in my young heart. And some could say, well, you were just a kid and we could write it all off. But I'm telling you, something very unique happened in my heart and life that night. And I will admit that I did not understand it all. I could not comprehend it all. But something got nailed down. Something got set in my heart. I received something that night that I have never forgotten until this day. I've often reflected on that night and that moment. And while I don't remember the sermon particular that he, in particular that he preached, I do, did remember the preacher. And I've often thought about that. 
A few years back, a few years back before Brother Kenneth Morgan died, I realized that we had a friend in common. I didn't know Brother Morgan. He didn't know me. But we had a friend in common in that of Brother Mike Bingham. Many of you know Brother Mike Bingham. And so I contacted Brother Bingham. I got Brother Morgan's phone number and I called him. On the other end of that phone, while he is an aged man by now, amen, on the other end was that same booming voice that I remembered as a child. I introduced myself to him and, and I thanked him. I, I thank him, thanked him for allowing the Lord to use him as he did that night. Of course, there was no way that he would know me or even perhaps remember anything about the details of that night, although he did remember preaching those camp meetings. I wanted him to know that his time in Florida was not wasted. I wanted him to know that he may have driven home and thought this was all for naught, but I just wanted him to know that somewhere, I don't think I was alone, but somewhere there was a young man, just a child that made my way to an altar and God got a hold of my heart. Amen. The Lord changed my name at that altar because even though I was young and didn't understand it all, I knew the value somewhere because of where I had and how I had been raised, the value of an altar. And I walked to the front and God did something with me through his messenger. He drew me to the most important intersection and moment of my life. I built an altar. I called out to God and that altar changed my life. I'm not trying to memorialize a building not trying to memorialize brick and mortar, uh, n- nothing nothing of that nature, but I'm just gonna tell you a couple of times driving up to that building and driving past that building, I just had to pause, pull over to the side of the road and just think about the things that God was doing in my life right then. I had no idea where God was gonna lead. I had no idea what God was going to do. I'm not trying to just preach about myself today. I'm just using me as an example because you can fit your name into that slot it may not have been an open air tabernacle it may not have been a sawdust floor it may not have been a windowless building but wherever you were aren't you thankful that you built there an altar you built there an altar hallelujah because it was there it was there that God put something in your heart in your mind in your spirit oh I thank you almighty God I thank you for the power of your spirit I thank you for the anointing and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. It wasn't, I couldn't get it all right then, but I'll tell you what the Lord did. He set me on the right path. He set me on the right road and I just kept walking. I just kept walking and when I got discouraged, I went back to the altar and when I got lost, I went back to the altar. When I needed direction, I went back to the altar. Hallelujah. When I needed healing for my body or even healing in my heart, I said, I know where I can get the answer. I'm going back where it's started. I'm going back where I got it to begin with. I am going to the altar. I'm going to make there an altar. I will make there an altar. There. There an altar. It could be in a hotel room. There an altar. It may be outside in the back 40. There an altar. It might be in the den of your home. There an altar. It might be the couch in your living room. But I'm going to tell you when you lift your voice it connects heaven and and our
altars. <laughs> oh, altars. They are significant, not just in the Old Testament. They're not just significant for the tying of, of, of blood sacrifices and lambs and rams. And, no, altars. They're as much significant today as they have ever been. Jacob or Israel would tell you that altars change the way God sees you and the way you see God. God didn't see him as Jacob anymore. It was Israel. He gave him a call and a purpose in his life. And it was, it was Israel that would raise 12 sons that would help form the 12 tribes of Israel. And those tribes would be God's chosen people. He was changed. I need to be changed. You see, he couldn't have fulfilled all of this with all that other junk in his life. I gotta be changed. So Esau finally catches up with his baby brother and he came armed and loaded. 400 armed military men with him. And Jacob, Israel, he, this is it. Israel had years to plot his revenge. Now they're just a few short miles away from one another. Jacob, Israel knows I'm, I'm as good as gone. This is it. But I've, I've asked for it. I deserve it. He's right. I've been wrong. And now we see Genesis 33. Esau and his brother meet. And as they got closer to one another, Israel bowed down seven times in front of his brother as a sign of submission and he bowed seven times. I'm not sure. The Bible talks about uh, him sending out the women and the children and then him bowing seven times. I'm not sure how much that weighed into softening the heart of Esau. Frankly, I think it was God that softened his heart. When they finally came together in a story plot that could only be God, they hugged one another. They fell on one another's neck and forgiveness began to flow. Israel couldn't believe what was happening. God had shown mercy and Esau's heart had been softened and, and and they walk away. In time, they parted from one another again. They traveled together to another destination, but in time they they walked away. And when they when they parted ways, the Bible says that Jacob or Israel built another altar unto the Lord, and he called it El Elohi. And that word means God, the God of Israel. And I think this is important. He built an altar that says this is God, the God of Israel. Because you see, up to now, Jacob or Israel had always referred to God as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. I could really say it this way. He, he, was, he was saying the God of my grandfather and the God of my father <laughs> but today 
He said, I'm building an altar. And this altar is going to be the God, the God of Israel, my God. I am thankful for my heritage and you perhaps are thankful for your heritage. But I want to tell you at some point, we can't just serve our grandpa's God and our grandmother's God and our mama's God and our daddy's God. Somewhere God has got to become God to me. Amen. He's got to become God to me. Real, real altars can change the way you see God. Real altars. You know, there's something about visiting um, the past, not just in our mind, but I remember a number of years ago, our son wasn't grown, but he was getting there, and, and we took a trip down to Central Florida where my father's family lived and where I was born. And it was important to me. I felt like it was important to him. I don't know how he felt about it, but it was important for me. I wanted to show him the house that I grew up in in the first few years of my life. I just wanted to see that, that house right there. It really didn't look a whole lot like it did back then. It had been updated and things of that nature. Carport was closed in, but I just wanted to ride down the road, and I wanted to say that right there. That's where that was it. I took him to the job site, the job where my dad worked when we lived there. And I took him by my father's mom and dad, my grandmother and grandfather Boyd. I took them by his house. I just wanted to show him a few things that were just snapshots of my life, my past. And maybe you've done similar things. Maybe you've shared things like that. Maybe you've talked about, I hope you have, your own conversion story to your children of how God got a hold of your heart. Don't just say, I was raised in church. Don't just, because you see, we all have a conversion story. Because just because you camp out in church doesn't fill you with the Holy Ghost and it doesn't change your life. We share those things. And, and I would imagine Jacob had a few things that he wanted to share with his children as well. I would think he would want to had at some point taken them back to Bethel and tell them how God gave him a dream and about the ladder and the angels and and maybe he would share with them some things that God had, had done for him and maybe he would take them to that very place where the angel of the Lord wrestled with him all night long and, and, and he would tell them about how his name was changed and his nature was changed and, and maybe it was right here where he took the time to say, and this children... It's why your father walks with a limp. I'm gonna just fill in that blank for you. This is, this is where all of that happened. Maybe he told them about the reunion with his brother Esau and all the things that took place, those change points, those significant moments in his life. I'm gonna ask our musicians to come. <clears throat> you see, it's because of altars in our life that will never be the same. I thank God for those altars. Some altars were built to thank God for the wonderful things that he had done. Some altars were built during tough times of struggle in our lives. Some altars were built asking God to save our families and 
our lost loved ones, they were altars of petition. They were, they were, they were, they were altars of intercession. I thank God for the altars. Most importantly, some of the altars in our lives have been built asking God to forgive me of my sins. Asking him to fill me with the Holy Ghost. Important altars. Moments. Snapshots. And if you haven't repented of your sins today, I just want you to know that God wants to forgive you. He's just waiting on you. That's all. That's all. He's just waiting on you. God has wanted to forgive. And when he does, you'll never be the same. It's a, it's a cleansing like no other. At the end of a long and hot day, we all get cleaned up and ready for the evening. And I often think about if you've been hot and dirty and grimy and now you're clean and refreshed. I often just think, why wouldn't everybody want to do this? It just changes you, refreshes you. And I say this as humbly as I know how, and I mean this. When the spirit of the Lord is moving in this church and the presence of God is just flowing and the anointing of the Holy Ghost, I stand on this platform and I ask myself, why wouldn't everybody want to do this? Why? Why Why would you not want to be free from sin? Unfettered from things that have just tethered you for years. Why wouldn't you want to just repent and say, Lord, I'm done. And reach that place where Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you change me. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Amen. If you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Ghost today, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> There's no better day, no better time. And I'll tell you, these altars are open. That's kind of a curious statement because they're never closed. But these altars are open. Amen. This could be the day that you yourself could say, Lord, right here, right here, make there an altar make there an altar amen so I'm just going to invite you to respond today if you want to walk this way that's fine if you want to stand where you are but I'm asking you to do this either way make there an altar make there an altar if you need forgiveness today lift your hands and your voice and ask him to forgive you if you need to be changed today, lift your voice and ask God to change you. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you want the Holy Ghost today, it's not to a select few. It is to whosoever will. It's a gift that he longs to give you today. He longs to give you today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. 
We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.